Welcome to the Timeout Bulls podcast, driven by Lexus. Visit a Chicago area Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer today to test drive the full lineup of all-wheel drive vehicles. Our guest today on Timeout Bulls is a very familiar figure to all of us with the Bulls organization, and this guy just happens to be my broadcast partner, the great Bill Wennington. And Bill, of course, has left a huge, huge mark on this franchise, not only as a player, three rings, as an ambassador, as an advisor, as a broadcaster, and everyone loves him here in Chicago. And I think you're going to learn more about Bill than just two and a half hours per night on the radio, because Bill really gets into his life story and how he became an NBA player and his background growing up in Canada. So let's pick up Time Out Bulls featuring my main man, Bill Wennington. Welcome to uh, Time Out Bulls, driven by Lexus. You can visit a Chicago area, Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer today to test drive the redesigned Lexus RX. And uh, joining me is my broadcast partner today, Bill Wennington. I've known Bill many, many years, and um, we're going to have an opportunity really to get to know Bill today, other than just his days as an NBA player, which we'll discuss because he does have three rings, but this is really focusing on Bill Wennington growing up in Canada, coming to the United States, and more uh, chapters in his life. So, Bill, we aren't broadcasting a game, but <laughs> let, so let's, let's talk about it because I've heard so many. You're in the Canadian Basketball Hall of Fame. Where did you grow up in Canada? Montreal. The, really, the West Island of Montreal and Beaconsfield was the most uh, – I spent most of the time there. I uh, went to high school, Beaconsfield High School. Uh, for a year and a half, I was at, uh, in Dollar Days Ormo and went to Lindsay Place High School. So you were born and raised in Montreal, is that yes, correct? Yes. And so you grew up there. At what stage in your life did your folks say, Bill, guess what? We bought you skates. I can't remember not having skates. I think I was two and I was skating on it. We'd go out to the parks and just skate outside with my mom and my dad. And I remember as uh, we got a little older, just going down and taking my brothers and sisters out to just a frozen pond, so to speak, and just go ice skating. So you, you <clears throat> get a pair of skates, you're skating on the pond. Did someone give you a hockey stick and say, guess what, you're bigger than a lot of kids and here's a stick and let's play? Well, everyone thought I was older because I was so much taller. But uh, I did. I played hockey when I was young, but I wasn't that good. I was a defenseman. Uh, I was big. I did bump into people. I wouldn't say I was quite checking yet because I wasn't that aggressive as a, a young a young Bill Wennington. But uh, I got in the way a lot. And I like to tell people when I started playing a little bit of travel hockey that I was so bad I started because th no one else on the team could carry the load, so to speak, when I was playing. All right, so a couple things, Bill. Normally, it, it was like people such as myself when you're the smallest kid in the class you get picked on a lot you were probably the tallest kid in many of your classes if not the tallest what was that like when you would walk into a classroom Chuck I was the tallest person in my school I, when I was 12 I was 6'2 and you know it was it was if my friends the people who knew me knew who I was and I was that was it was fun but if you didn't know me I was a freak because uh, I, was, I was really tall like, like I said I was 12 years old I was six foot two I was six foot uh, before I was 11, so uh, I was just kind of the the Frankenstein in the room, so to speak. And did that kind of affect you at all? Did you think about it much? You're not really. Uh, when I was when I was 14, 15, somewhere around there, I, I realized that it didn't matter what I did; people were going to stare at me. So it was just might as well just do what I do then. 
and it was good most of the time, but sometimes it got me in trouble. <laughs> did, did you have a lot of passion for hockey? <clears throat> I, I liked it a lot. I mean, obviously in Canada, you watch it all the time. You, I played, and like I said, I wasn't great at it. I was good at it, and I actually stopped playing hockey when I was 12. Uh, just, I started playing basketball at that point. Did you want to stop, or did you outgrow skates? I outgrew or skates. I was, outgrew I, was, skates. I was 12 years old. I had a size 13 skate, and the next year I had a 14 uh, shoe, so I couldn't get skates couldn't anymore. Skates. Couldn't find skates anymore, and so I just I had to stop playing hockey. And and I remember it was an accident. I was we were out swimming at the Point Claire pool, which was a, a big hub for swimmers back in the day. A lot of the Olympic swimmers swam in Point Claire, and we were out there after swimming lessons. Uh, this guy was just in free swim, just said, you know, you ever play basketball? He thought I was about 16, but I was 12. And that's how the connection started. Had they found skates, Bill? Because this could have affected the rest of your life regarding whether or not you were going to gravitate to basketball. Had they found skates that fit your feet, do you think you could have pursued a hockey career regardless of basketball? I don't know, Chuck. Uh, Chara's got nothing on me. He's only 6'9". Six, yeah, right. But, uh, you know, I, you, you don't know. You don't it's, know. I, I, I mean, loved hockey. Uh, I'm very passionate. When I, when I love something, I play it, play hard, and I give it my all. But you know, I don't know if I would have been good enough. Uh, you, at that time, the game was uh, a little bit different. I might have I been able to be a fighter. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Why not? So, um, like Larry Robinson. So you're, you're introduced to basketball. Did you love it? Right away, I did. Uh, I wasn't very good, but that was I, when I speak to young people today. I, I tell them that's the most important thing I learned in basketball is that I love it. And uh, the first year was a struggle, but I enjoyed the camaraderie. I, I liked the, the style and the pace of the game. And you're still in Montreal at the time. I'm still in Montreal, yes, in uh, Beaconsfield, and and I just loved it. It put the planted the bug or the seed, whatever you want to call it, and I started to play, and I wanted to play more and. So I got into these leagues and tried started going to summer camps and kept improving. And so when did then you decide or your folks and your family decide we're moving somewhere other than the, you know, the province of Quebec and Montreal and we're going to the States? Uh, that was when I was 16. That, that summer, my parents were divorced when I was 12. And uh, that summer, my mother was living in, in Long Island, New York, and they decided it was time for me maybe to move down there and see if something could happen down there with basketball. So we went down there and, and uh, ran into, very fortunately, Bob McKillop at Long Island Lutheran High School and ended up going to that, got into Long Island Lutheran and Bob McKillop kind of paved the way and remolded me uh, into a basketball player. And you became a McDonald's All-American and then of course you're being recruited and you were recruited by everyone in the country. Uh, did you enjoy that? Being recruited? It was fun, although Bob and I had a couple arguments because I did want to go visit the University of Hawaii, but he wouldn't let me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of wanted a mid-season vacation, if you know what I mean. But actually, to be honest with you, I was smart enough to understand at that time. I, I did not look at any West Coast schools on, on the West Coast because I, I understood that I wasn't quite disciplined enough at that point in my life that if I went out there uh, to play basketball, there would be too many distractions for me, and, and that might deter from my progress. So it comes down to Duke, Virginia, and St. John's. Not too many people turned down Duke. Now, it, was, it was actually very hard. And I, remember, I would have been Coach K's uh, first recruiting class. 
and it was difficult. As a matter of fact, when my son was being recruited by them for football, we went there, and my wife and I were walking around. And I looked around and said, how did I say no to this? But uh, the times were different, and I wanted to stay in New York by my mom. And uh, Duke at the time was an up-and-coming program, was building. Coach K was, had just started and turned things around. And Jim Laranega and uh, Terry Holland at, at Virginia had Ralph Sampson, and things were going real, looked real great for them. But, you know, St. John's was up-and-coming. The Big East was just uh, the, the new sports basketball league in, in the East Coast, and it was doing tremendously. It had just started the year before. And I thought it was a great opportunity basketball-wise uh, for me at St. John's and also that way my mom would be able to see every game I played. And and during that window at St. John's you played with players such as Chris Mullen, uh, Walter Berry. I mean these are names folks just to let you know and you can Google them for our young listeners who are saying I've never heard of Walter Berry and Chris Mullen maybe maybe not I don't know but I mean these were some very good players you were alongside with. Oh, yeah, and and also Mark Jackson. Mark too. Jackson. So it, we had, we had really had a great team and I went to the Final Four in 1985. Uh, really, the chemistry on that team was was great, and we had kids from all over. We had inner city kids, we had suburban kids, and obviously we had me from a, a different country. But it, we all got along really well, and I, I give a lot of credit to Coach Conaseca for molding us all into that family atmosphere and getting us all to accept and, and really love each other as, as brothers, both on and off the floor. And it was really a great time. And I highly, you know, I, I talk to young people today, they're talking about college, and it really is the best experience of your life. And making the NBA has been phenomenal. Don't get me wrong, it's been outstanding. But uh, to be a young man playing basketball in college where your responsibilities are really going to class and playing basketball, you don't have to worry about bills and you know, all, all the things that we have uh, as adults, it, it's a great time in your life. Uh, the the responsibilities you had as a student athlete, were you a good student? I was a good student. That's one of the things Bob McKillop helped, helped me because I was, in Canada, I was doing just enough to get by. Whatever the passing grade was, that was my grade was going to be because I, I didn't work hard at it. Not that I didn't know things or I wasn't smart. I just didn't apply myself. But... Uh, Bob really worked on me and got me to understand that, you know, you are who you are, and if you take shortcuts in one part of your life, you're going to take shortcuts in all your life. And uh, so my grades came up dramatically at Lutheran and then continued on through St. John's. So was I a great student? No, I was a good student. And it was a solid B, B-plus average. The, the fact that you went from a, I assume, a suburban school, Long Island Lutheran, is that correct? Yes. To a city school like St. John's, what were the dynamics like playing with different people from different socioeconomic backgrounds for the first time when that you, re, you got into that melting pot your freshman year? Well, Lutheran was a, a private school, so we had kids from all over. And Bob McKillop was wise enough that uh, in the summertime he'd put us into summer leagues. So we played in the Rucker Summer League and we played in different leagues. Uh, and it was quite interesting for me. Uh, and, and at that time, coming from Montreal, never having seen this many people, actually this many people playing basketball. Because, you know, remember at the time, hockey was the big thing. Basketball was really... Right, there were no Raptors, uh, there were no uh, Vancouver Grizzlies uh, now in Memphis, It, it really course, wasn't, a, there, there were no hoops anywhere. If you couldn't go to a gym inside, there was, there was nothing outside to play basketball. But here we are playing all these leagues outside. So when I got to St. John's, I'd already kind of been acclimated to different... 
styles of basketball and different people playing and, and, and as many people playing. So it wasn't that difficult. It was just more at that time getting to St. John's and kind of finding my way on the team and, and what I needed to do to be part of the team. Bill Wennington is our guest on Time Out Bulls, uh, our weekly Bulls podcast. So, Bill, at St. John's, uh, as we mentioned, you're with some outstanding players, but also it was an outstanding league. And there were some very intense rivalries, including, of course, Georgetown with John Thompson, uh, figuratively and literally a man that's probably bigger than life. He was physically a huge human being, and he had that that towel draped over his shoulder, and he had that glaring look at opponents and referees. And, of course, he brought in players who played with an edge. Give me an idea what it was like when St. John's played Georgetown in the 80s. It was a war. <clears throat> and, and obviously I'm going against Patrick Ewing, so who, who was another seven-footer and probably much more athletic than I was. And so I really had to prepare and be ready for, for battle. And it was physical back then. Back, college basketball was no, no holds barred. You guys just went at it. And it was really the Big East kind of picked up from what Georgetown was doing because it was the only way you could play with them because they were, they were not, not only were they athletic and, and, and good basketball players, but they were going to make it physically demanding on you. And so, so, Bill, when you saw Georgetown on the schedule and as the days approached where you were playing them, what was your mindset like? I was just getting ready for an, a big game. It was gonna, obviously, it was going to be the, one of the best, the biggest battles of the season. You Georgetown. weren't intimidated or you didn't no. feel they were trying to intimidate you? No. They were, but I don't get intimidated. I, I play. I pride myself on playing against the best. As a matter of fact, I tell people I'm, I made the NBA because of Patrick Ewing because I had to go and play against him twice a year for four years and, and play well. And if I played well, I did my job. I tell people, hey, Patrick Ewing was an All-American and he was a, a superstar in college. And if he got 30 points and 20 rebounds, that's what Patrick Ewing was supposed to do. But if I got 20 points and 10 rebounds against Patrick Ewing, that was amazing. Or if I held him under 20 points and under 10 rebounds, I did a phenomenal job. And that was my goal, every, every game, to go out and just try to slow him down. And it was tough, to, trust me. <laughs> it's not an easy task, but I had a great team behind me and some great players to help me out. But uh, that is really, I really think how I got to the NBA because I took those things as challenges as opposed to being, oh boy, this is going to be tough. I don't know if I can do it. It's like, okay, I'm really going to have to push myself today. Thanks for tuning in to the Time Out Bulls podcast driven by Lexus. The Bulls aren't the only ones with a long season. We all know the Chicago winter can be long and challenging as well. But with 22 all-wheel drive models by Lexus, you don't have to be stuck inside. Visit your Chicago area and Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer to test drive today. Lexus all-wheel drive, your antidote for cabin fever. Uh, playing alongside the players you mentioned, Chris Mullen, Mark Jackson, Walter Berry. Walter Berry was the NCAA Player of the Year. Mark Jackson, of course, had a terrific, terrific, maybe future Hall of Fame run um, in the NBA, and Chris Mullen is in the Hall of Fame. Fame. Uh, did jealousy ever set in when you have that many? I mean, you're a first-round pick. Jackson's a first-round pick. Barry's a first-round pick. Mullen is a first-round pick. How did you balance egos and skill? Well, I, I think back in those days, egos weren't – they were there, and guys had them. But I give a lot of credit to Lou Conoseca for managing that and keeping us all relevant 
and, and knowing our roles on the team. And there was no jealousies on the team. Everyone got along. And I say, that was one of the best teams that I've ever been with chemistry-wise where everyone truly got along with each other. And you can go to anyone's room on the road and the whole team would be in there. And everyone would be there. It wouldn't be little clicks here and there where two or three guys go off in their own direction. The, the team really stayed together and played together. And I, I give a lot of credit to Luke Conaseca for building us and molding us as a family. You know, we see Conaseca very animated on the sideline. He was wearing the sweater, um, almost similar to uh, the persona here in Chicago with Ray Meyer. And I know DePaul played St. John's. I was part of that you know, opportunity to call games with St. John's, at that time known as the Redmen, not yes. as the Red Storm, I think, is their nickname today, right? Yes. Um, but uh, give, give us an idea and an impression of Luke Harnaseka. Was he a hands-off coach? Was he a hands-on? Was he a micromanager? Uh, do we see only the television side of Luke Harnaseka and then behind closed doors a different guy? No, he, Lou is Lou. Uh, what do you see, that passion – uh, for life on the court and the energy that he had while he was coaching. That's who he is. Uh, he's hands-on in the respect that he wants you to be a better man and he's going to demand the best out of you, wants you to do the best on the floor but also off the floor. Uh, he's not a micromanager where uh, his assistants did have say. Brian Mahoney was the assistant coach and, and he had his say in practice two or three times he'd run different drills every practice it, it would be his time to shine uh, Al Lababo was our defensive coordinator so to speak anything defensively involved in practice he'd take over and Lou kind of stepped back watched and made sure and, and was overseeing everything making sure we we're all doing what we were supposed to do on the floor uh, but especially off the court coach was a father figure to all of us his office was always open uh, he took time to talk to us about you know, life skills, what's going on in our lives, how our families were, the importance of our family and our friends, and what team team is, and what it's it really what it really means, not just on the floor but off the floor, and how we stand up for each other. So those are the things that you take away and remember. But so he was very much hands on, but not so much a micromanager where he had to control everything. And you go to the Final Four, um, come up short in the Final Four, a Final Four that featured three. Me, I'm seven feet tall. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not short. <laughs> That's right. Well, the team came up short. Yes, we did. Um, and uh, you had three, which is extraordinary, folks, three teams from the same conference in the Final Four. Of course, Villanova beat Georgetown and Patrick Ewing in the championship game. Um, when did you get an idea that, you know what, I, I've had a pretty good run. I'm an All-American. I could be a number one pick by someone in the NBA. I started to think – halfway through towards the end of my junior year that if I keep working hard and pushing myself that the NBA was an option or could be an option and I think did you want to come out after your junior year no no and heck no and even if I if even if I at the end of my senior year let's say I was a junior or sophomore I think I'd stay I mean college is fun I, I seriously I I understand the money and you want to take care of your families and and I get that but it really is the last chance for a 20, what was I, 22 when I graduated, to be a kid. I'm playing a game. I had to go to school. I didn't mind school. I didn't love school, but I didn't mind it. I worked hard at it. I, I, got, I got good grades. But really, when you look at it, Chuck, we'd all, right now, wouldn't you like to go back to college? It's kind of fun. I mean, 
you really have no responsibilities other than getting good grades and and we had to play basketball. Yeah. That was uh, it. In fact, you just uh, read a great quote, Dick Enberg, who's retiring after unbelievable career in sports broadcasting, was saying he'd like to go back as a sophomore. Yeah. Uh, in college. It's a good year. Because, you know, you, you've gotten all those jitters out of your freshman year where you don't know what building to go to and mm -hmm. who am I going to meet. And I'm kind of awkward. And here I am, you know, just trying to blend in and fit in. And all of a sudden, you, you know, you kind of decompress and you take that deep breath and release and you say, wow, okay, I'm a sophomore and I can move on now. Well, well part of it too is, is there's no giant agendas. You're still naive to the ways of the world. So you don't have the political pressures on you to, to really fit in. You can still be yourself and, and, and relax and have fun. So it, it really is just a great experience. I mean, it's, as they say, youth is wasted on the young. Yes. <laughs> True. I like that quote. So your career, Bill, we know that you have three rings with the Bulls. How would you assess your NBA career? I, I, I think I surprised a lot of people. I don't think when I first came out, people would think that I would have a 13-year NBA career. Uh, I think, and I know, uh, a lot of what happens in, the, in professional sports is, I don't want to say luck, but more timing and being in the right place at the right time, uh, playing in the right system. I, I fit into what the Chicago Bulls were running. Uh, the triangle offense, I was a, a big man that could move on the floor, I played good defense, uh, I, I could pass the ball, I could shoot the ball from the perimeter, and I set good screens, which was really what the Chicago Bulls needed at that time to run the triangle offense. So I fit in. Was I a low post scorer? No, I wasn't a low post scorer. So uh, if, if I was on another team like the New York Knicks, who wanted me to play there, I would have had to try and fill Patrick's role. And am I a low post? I can play in a low post. I played in low post in high school, but was that my strength? No, my strength was running up and down the floor in my jump shot. So uh, that just fit in perfect with what the Bulls needed. So overall, I'm, I'm very happy with my pro career. I wish it was uh, 20 years later that I, I started. I wish I was uh, got drafted in uh, 2015 as opposed to two, uh, 1985. You ever think about this, Bill? I mean, the kind of money that's out there now, and God bless the players. I will oh, yeah, never absolutely. be a player. But you ever think, you know what? I could be probably in the 12 to 14 range right now. It, 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 you know, I look at it, and yes, you think that sometimes, but it doesn't matter because nothing's going to change. You, you, it can't no, happen. You're right. But, and, but then I also look at the time when I first came into the league. I was making more money than our starting point guard as, as a rookie. And I didn't play much as a, as a rookie under Dick Mott at all. So it's all relevant to what times you were. You look at guys like Johnny Red Kerr, and I made more money in my first four years of playing basketball than he made in his whole career. And, and Johnny Red Kerr was, was a great player back in the day. He was, uh, played, what, 699 yeah, games in a row? He was the you know, yeah, green. So, it, you know, it's all a matter of the times. And the, the basketball, and you know what? Basketball's been doing great. And the sport has been doing phenomenal. Fans love the game. They come and watch the games and obviously watching them at home, coming to the arenas. So it's taken off. And it's, we're very fortunate to be able to play, this, play a game. And I, and, I hope, and I think most guys do understand that, that it's, it's something that, yeah, we've worked hard to get there. I'm not taking anything away from guys because it's, it's hard to get there and it's not easy. But in the long run, we're fortunate that we have this outlet to showcase our talents and, and to make a living playing a game. Bill, that, that period when you were able to win three rings with the Bulls, 
during that that window of time, were you ever able to have quality time with Jordan or Pippen or Phil Jackson where you weren't talking basketball? Were you able to ever have like an hour, two hours, three hours where you were just talking life? Or are things just in such a rush and we got a game, we're on a plane, we're on a bus, we got to go. We have another game. We're coming home for 24 hours. Once the season's over, you exhale and you have time well, for yourself. Yeah, you, we had. There's a lot. Of, there's lots of opportunities to have time. You get to the cities that you're playing in. You know, you, it's 24 hours in a day. You have uh, a shoot around that's going to last an hour to two hours with travel back and forth, and you have lunch, and then you get ready for the game. You, you're sitting on an airplane. You, you play cards. You talk. You have a lot of time to, and that's. Were you in that inner circle with with a Jordan and a Pippen, as far as just, you know, all that, or or was it just crazy during that period of time, where even teammates? You could get, you could get in if that's what you want to. Do. They'd, they'd be going doing their things again. They're not all of our interests are the same, but when we're so, who were some of your closest teammates uh, on the team? Judd Bushler, Steve Kerr, Luke Longley, Randy Brown, Dickie Simpkins. Uh, we hung out a lot, but we, we'd also go every now and then. I'd go and play cards with Michael if they needed. They, they had their four guys that would play it all the time, but every now and then one of them was sick or didn't want to play. I'd jump in and play the game. Uh, we'd go to a city. We wanted to go out to dinner. If Hey, we're going to go to this restaurant. A couple guys, hey, let's all go together. Want to go to the movies? we go to the movies together. So there was a lot of time that we spent together, and that's, I really think, important for the chemistry of a team because you really have to – like and respect all the players that are that you're playing with, or you're not going to be the best you can be. How intense were the card games? Well, let's just say we got a lot of you know. Everyone talks about alphas. You know, you talk. We talk about the Chicago Bulls today, and right. a lot of the word alphas come up with Jimmy Butler, Rajon Rondo, and Dwayne Wade. Honestly, on an NBA basketball team, there's 14 alphas, or 15 if you got a 15 man roster. You're all alphas, but you have to be smart enough to wear you fit in. And none of us like to lose. So the, the, the games were pretty intense. And obviously Michael hates losing. So you know he, he'd raise up the intensity a little bit. And you better be able to hang He was because he's going to make it rough on you. Phil Jackson. Um, Bill, if someone said, describe Phil Jackson in one word, one word, what would that word be? Great, I think astute. I think one of the one of the things that Phil does better than any coach that that I've ever played with is he really was able to recognize body language and knew how to mold and keep everybody on the same page. There were times where I was disappointed. I wanted to play more. I was frustrated, <clears throat> and it seemed every time I was just ready to blow up and cause a scene, he'd come over and hey. You're doing great. Hang in there. We got Indiana coming up. Rick Smith's there. We're going to need you to play well. Keep working hard. You know, we played a bunch of small teams. We played Phoenix. They're small. They're running around. You haven't got the minutes I know you deserve and want to play, but we're going to need you, so stay here. So he, he was really good at keeping everyone on the same page and keeping you involved and focused. So on he the read you. <clears throat> he was able to get that, that, that feeling, that vibe that, yep. okay, Bill's on the brink and I need to pull <clears throat> him back. Exactly. And, and, and he was also good because he, he didn't want me to be a soldier. He wanted everyone to be a free thinker and go out and play and, and do it their own. And that's part of the triangle is just recognizing what's open and doing and moving to the open spot, taking what the defense gives you. But also in life, he wanted you to do the same thing. So 
He'd let you go out there and feel your way around, but if he thought you were going way off track or getting ready to blow up and cause a scene or, or a distraction, so to speak, he'd just kind of reel you back in, pull you back in, let you know where you, where you are on the team. And, and that, was, that was also one of his strong points. Everyone kind of knew where they fit in on the team and what, what, what their role was. Okay. You're also a parent, and uh, your son, Robbie, uh, whom I've met, outstanding young man. I give Ann all the credit in the world for that. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> but all kidding aside, Bill, he was a tremendous uh, high school star at Loyola Academy here in the Chicagoland area, folks. And he played football. Yep. Did you encourage him to play football? And after understanding now as we gain more information about the sport itself, are you glad he didn't pursue a football career even though maybe he wanted to at Boston College, you're glad that he's not in the sport. I'm very glad he's not in the sport. And if I had to do it again, I would not encourage it. I didn't really encourage it. I just didn't discourage it. I wanted him to be his own person. And, I, and at least my feeling was I didn't want him to have to have the pressure of me living up to what I was. So he was a very good basketball player. He was probably a better basketball player than he was football player. But he loved football. And I think... The pressures for him, you know, he didn't want to have to compete with me or what, what I was. And so, and, and I. It's tough. It, I'm sure it was tough on him, but it's tough on you because yep. you want to see your child happy. And it was so, so when he decided at the end of his junior year that, you know, he wanted to play football in college, and then that summer he wasn't going to play basketball anymore with AAU programs, you know, I was disappointed, but it was his decision. So I was happy for him. I was happy that he was able to make that choice. And, you know, he was recruited. He wanted to play a tight end. He <clears throat> wasn't offered a scholarship to play tight end, but Boston College was very interested in him. Uh, all the Ivy League schools wanted him to come there. But he really liked Boston College, so he walked on, got in and walked on and made the team and was on a scout team and got hurt, got a bad concussion at the end of the year. And when he was still having headaches at Christmas when he came home just before their bowl game, he's like, I don't know if I can do this. This hurts too much. And I was like, well, you got it's, it's your life. It's, and he said, I, I can't do it. So he called a coach, and, and that was his sports career over. Um, and we talked about, you know, he's a good enough basketball player. He can go play basketball somewhere if he wanted to. But he loved Boston College. It's a, honestly, it's a great school, Chuck. I mean, what they do up there and the whole atmosphere on campus was absolutely phenomenal. So for him, it was a, a great fit. And he stayed there, and he graduated. And he's still up in the Boston area working now. But... Uh, having to do it again, I wouldn't let him play football. I would have, st I would have stopped and put my foot down and said, you know what, no, you're not going to play. Yeah. Well, at least he has the, the common sense to say, you know what, even though I might enjoy and have passion for the sport, I also have to think that, you know what, I want to make sure that I get to 40 or 65 yep. or 85 or whatever. So uh, that's good on his part. So, Bill, before we let you go, Give me your greatest game you've ever played at any level, not necessarily points and rebounds, but one game where you've walked off that floor and said, wow, this is, this is why I play the game. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know what? There's, a, there's one in high school. There was a tournament we played in. And the first game I had 55 points in the first game. And it was phenomenal. And the second game, the championship, it was just a two-game tournament. With four minutes left in the game, I had 
46 points. And you had 55 the previous game. We were winning the game by – our team was just yeah. – we were winning by a lot. We had a good team. And for the last four minutes, literally it became get me – I got ended up the game with 48 points. But the last four minutes where everyone was giving me the ball, it was one on five. <laughs> and I only got 48 points. Four. But that was uh, – Okay, so that – That game there was like – I didn't reach my goal, obviously, but it was – I understood I could be good at it. Obviously, I had two big games. But it was the fun of the competition. And even though I didn't achieve the secondary goal, the minor goal, uh, it, it's, I had fun and I understood that I loved the game. My first game in the NBA, uh, playing against the Lakers when I was with Dallas, first regular season game, didn't play much. But that game, realizing the work that I had done to get there, and that if I kept working hard, who knows what could happen. So coming home, reflecting on that game, that, hey, I made it, but this is not over. There's more that I can do. So just reaching those little steps, really, and the love that I had for the game and, and the ability that I had to push myself to work hard to accomplish things is, are the things that stand out. Wow. Well, Bill, on that note, we're going to say thank you. This was great. Lexus is a proud partner of the Chicago Bulls. Visit your Chicago area Northwest Indiana Lexus dealer to see the extensive lineup of all-wheel drive vehicles. Don't let Mother Nature conquer you this winter.